I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Coming to you from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. You know, in uh, the year 2010, YouTubing was already considered a thing, and some people were making money at it, and everybody was making videos. It was just a great way to get yourself out there, to establish your brand, you know, to me, one of the all-time videos that maybe nobody ever saw, but it was great. It was called the Andy, the Andy and Landry Show. <laughs> We're starting it was based with out this, of New huh? York City, and it featured two New York Knicks rookies in, in the 2010-11 season. Andy Routens, co-host of this show, and Landry Fields, who is now the assistant general manager of the Atlanta Hawks, played for two years with the Knicks, three years with the Toronto Raptors. And along with Andy and Javon Shepard here uh, in Toronto, we are just thrilled to have Landry joining us on uh, Gym Rats and Joints. Landry, congratulations on the new job with Atlanta. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling in today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Excited. Good, good it's to see my boy Andy. That's right. It's been a minute. It, it, it is so good for me. I mean, in uh, in your rookie year, I was producing the Raptors games, and it was only my second year, so I kind of felt like a bit of a rookie myself. Yeah. And it was all it was great going into New York and seeing Andy and you, and uh, and seeing what you guys were accomplishing in in your years in the league there. Um, I think what we're going to do today, we're going to start by recapping the NBA season that was, and then we're going to get really personal with Landry, and I think a lot of Canadian basketball fans, uh, first of all, would love to hear what you've been up to since you left Toronto, but I think they're also going to be uh, incredibly proud of what you've accomplished in the years since. So so let's start with uh, the NBA Finals. It wrapped up Sunday night. The Lakers won in six. I really don't think it was uh, much of a surprise to anybody. Landry, I'll, I'll start with you. You know, your Hawks are in the same division as the Miami Heat, so I'm sure you're watching them extra close. Uh, d- did they really ever have a chance in this series? They were down 2-0, down 3-1. Jimmy Butler was amazing throughout. But did they really ever stand a chance against this Goliath of the Lakers? Well, I think you have to you have to just start with Miami in, in, in a bit of a vacuum and just what they've been able to accomplish over the years. I mean, to lose the firepower that they did and LeBron and Osh and Dwayne Wade and maintain your potency and competitive over that time span is uh, it's attributed to just what Pat Riley has built, you know, with his staff. And uh, to answer your question, did they have a chance? Uh, absolutely. They did that. The culture and the grit and the toughness that uh, they exude game in and game out. I think we saw throughout the playoffs. Um, they can be a dangerous team going forward. I mean, LeBron, LeBron is tough, and you pair him with AD, and it, it's, it's going to be monsters, a very man. difficult mountain to climb. But uh, you, know, you have to you have to give credit to the Heat for sure. Um, it was fun to watch them. I think there's a lot of buzz and chatter around what the Heat are doing internally from their process, and a lot of teams are trying to replicate that. Andy, I, I thought that with with LeBron and AD and Landry just brought it up. Mm-hmm. They were just so overpowering, just so much talent. And then you had other players stepping up. I'll, I'll kind of pose the same question to you. Um, did Miami have a chance? Was there anyone in the East who could have beat the Lakers four times? I mean, they only lost five games uh, in the entire playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I think Miami did what they could. Uh, you know, especially losing Bam and and uh, and uh, oh, what's that? Dragic early, yeah, with his planner. I mean, that's tough. Um, 
But, you know, having the experience that they did in the bubble, they went from a slim chance of competing for the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, all the way to the finals. Um, so you have to take your hat off to Coach Bo and Jimmy for and the entire gang of the supporting staff for the elite performances that they gave out. But having said that, it was just L.A. was built for the postseason. I mean, LeBron and A.D., they, they look like the monsters out there. I mean, once they turned on the gas, there was really nothing that Miami could do with them when they wanted to. Um, and I think that, you know, given their their spectacular offensive prowess, we forget about what a great defensive team they were. Uh, they finished first in blocks, second in defensive rebounds, and fifth in steals all season long. And they were the best-rated defensive team in the playoffs at 108. So, I mean, I have to take my hat off to Coach Bo and Jimmy for what they did, but I don't think they could have done anything with LeBron. You know, Shep, they, they came in as the fifth seed in the playoffs, and it's, it's very rare that you see a five seed get all the way to the NBA Finals. Would Milwaukee have had a better chance? Could the Celtics have pushed the Lakers, the Raptors? Was there a team in the East that might have made it a bit more difficult for the Lakers? Because nobody out West did. I don't think so. I think, you know, what you see is what you get. If it was a team that would have been better matched, they would have been in that position. So I think uh, Miami, just like, you know, Landry said, um, from Pat Riley on down is a testament to, you know, the management, the coaching, the team that they put together in order to, you know, accomplish what they did. Um, and, and, you know, a testament to Jimmy also. Like he's been he's taken a lot of heat over the last couple of years for not being the best teammate or, or whatever the case or leader, per se. And, and look what he did with this group right here. And I've, I've harped on it over the last couple of weeks. You know, Jimmy's a, a, la- a late last pick in the first round. Bam is the only lottery pick that was actually in that first round mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in the first, the, their starting five, rather. Sorry. Um, so, it, again, to see what they accomplished, I think they are. It was more, it, was, it wasn't about the roster. It was more about the chemistry and, you know, the grit and the intensity that this team plays with. We, we are uh, so happy to have Landry Fields with us uh, today, the assistant general manager of the Atlanta Hawks. Landry, you, you came out of Stanford into the NBA in 2002. 10. LeBron James was already in the league. He was already an MVP. You played for five years in the NBA. You've been out of the league as a player for five years. So here we are, 17 seasons for LeBron James. He still looks like the best basketball player in the world. To win the MVP of the finals is just astonishing. And and we're seeing a great new generation of talent on the rise in the NBA, but what, do you think LeBron is is still the best player? Well, I have to be careful with, with what I say here in terms of <laughs> players. Um, obviously, hey, Trey Young. Trey Young is the best player. There you go. <laughs> you know, like he's he's obviously a fantastic player, and uh, you know, from I think from anybody's standpoint, he's going to go down as one of the greatest of all time. So. Um, you know, there's not too much I can say without getting fined for anything. <laughs> we tampering. don't want you to get fined. Uh, well, Andy can pay. Have to, I got you. To honor and respect greatness as a player. And he's shown that from one team to the next to the next. So, uh, incredible player, you know. Did you ever, you, you had to guard him at some point? I did have to guard him. Yeah. It was. <laughs> yeah, Landry, what was that like? <laughs> Just, you were kind of there to. To say hey, yeah, you know, <laughs> on the radar, but you know, you do what you can. I'll never forget this moment. And uh, I think we were playing. Where we? Where was Joe Johnson at that time? Where what? Where was Joe Johnson at that time? Joe Johnson was in Atlanta. He was in Atlanta. That's right. I remember after the game, Landry and I were talking. I wasn't playing too much, but Landry was balling out, and. You know, he he had told me he goes, "Shit, I got ISO Joe. <laughs> I'm, I'm matched up with ISO Joe right now." And we saw what he did, you know, to so many people's ankles in the league. But it's just a testament to what type of athlete Landry was. You know, to be able to stay in front of these guys and match up at six seven, six eight with LeBron and Joe Johnson. So it was a pretty incredible experience. Joe Johnson was an absolute beast. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I mean, people were asking me, "Who's an? It's weird to say underrated, but like." He didn't give a lot. Of, he didn't get a lot of credit. <laughs> right. Some of the stuff Joe Johnson was bag, doing. Like, I, I could not guard that dude. Like, it, was just, <laughs> it wasn't like a bully. He was just like a shifty. shifty yeah. Left yeah. Oh man, he was super. Being on an island with him is just a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is amazing stuff to hear. This is the stuff that I I love hearing guys talking about. You know, Shep, we've been talking about LeBron since we started this podcast a few months ago, and throughout these NBA playoffs, you look at the guy now. He's been to the finals ten times, uh-huh. which 
alone, I think, is just astonishing. He's won four times. He's won uh, finals MVP in all four of those championships. Um, one thing that surprised me as we went along was, was a little bit of debate between us between MVP and most important player. Okay. Do, do, is there anything about you that maybe has shifted your position? Or is there any... Is there? Are you looking at LeBron differently now that he's won the fourth championship than maybe you did earlier in the season or a year ago? I'm not. I'm not. I'm looking at him as the same MVP caliber player. At same, And I think for his Lakers team, he was actually still the most important piece of that team. Um, you know, and, and you know, he said it as well. Like he need you need he needs AD, and he's he's here to just mentor and bring AD along the way as well, and just you know continue what the Lakers the the history and the legacy that the Lakers have um have already laid out. So, uh, it's it's just amazing to see that this late in his career, he's still adding different components to his game and still you know rising the le- rising the level, and, you know, really um accelerating from you know he's getting older. But now it's more of a mental game. And just to see that, yeah, million dollar body. He's just investing so much in his craft that, Mm -hmm. you know, once this is all said and done, if he gets six six rings, he's going to be the greatest of all time. He will be. I believe that too. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of a gripe. Uh, First of all, he's hands down the best player in the NBA. It's not even debatable. What what he's doing at 35 years old, navigating through a pandemic, the bubble, uh, remaining steadfast and political, you know, in the face of this Black Lives Matter movement, it's it's not an easy task. And all the meanwhile, averaging 28, 11, and 9, it's it's insurmountable. But to be honest, I think he drew too much attention to himself and his accolades after he won. That really rubbed me the wrong way because a Michael Jordan in his prime would always keep it about basketball. Uh, it's always the goal at, at hand. And and LeBron was kind of like, look what I've done. You know, look well, at all okay, the look at all the look at all the critics I've silenced. I'm gonna play devil's advocate there. He's always scrutinized, and they're always throwing some another challenge at him. No, he say, is. Okay, he is. But so, is he making it about himself or? Or media, but I think that's him buying into it because, of course, the media would try to do that to Michael Jordan as well. But Michael Jordan, at the end of the day, didn't have to prove anything to, to anybody else but himself. He, he didn't, but at the same time, I feel like in the 80s, per se, the popularity of the game was growing. Now it's already at its peak. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, people got to grow to love Mike. Mm-hmm. For LeBron, I think he's a bit more fragile because they're trying to tear him up, tear him down. He's in that social media he's world in that as well. Social media world. Yeah. And you know, they've had, you know, a little more time with him just to pick at everything he hasn't done, everything he doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mike, it was, we're, see, we're, we're just seeing mm-hmm. greatness in the making. Mm-hmm. We don't appreciate LeBron as much. Mm-hmm. We, you know, people scrutinize him and try and break him down in a sense, pick at him. I, I actually think for what he has achieved in his career, mm-hmm. I think there's a huge amount of humility there. Mm-hmm. I mean, his, his accomplishments are really second to none. You know, Jordan is maybe the more accomplished player in terms of resume, but you don't is really. He? I I think two so. more rings after that. Yeah, but I mean, what what Mike did for the game is just is, is unparalleled, and he was six and zero. Oh in the finals. But um, I just think there, there's actually a humility to, to LeBron James that um, I don't know how anybody else would be able to contain. Don't get me wrong. He's the consummate professional. He's, he's, he's the gold standard for sure. But I see a guy like, let's, let's, let's hop out of this sport realm and go into soccer real quick. You see a guy like Neymar Jr. passing Ronaldinho and Brazil's all-time scoring list. And, and soccer is a world-renowned sport. And he says, you know, his first Instagram post is not about, hey, look what I did, my personal achievement. It's my respect goes out to Ronaldinho, you know, or Ronaldo, I should say. Uh, and, and I just want to see LeBron take his teammates with him. It's not, it shouldn't just be him and AD. He's my guy. He got me here. He got me my ring. Look what I did. That's my personal Fair, opinion. fair, but fair. He, at the end of the day, he is the ultimate well, professional. Yeah. I mean, look, looking at LeBron's tweets, he does congratulate a lot of people he does. Th- he throughout, does. throughout the sports world. Right. You know, another guy who uh, was quite exceptional in the playoffs and in the finals was, was Rajon Rondo. Mm-hmm. Landry, I, I want to ask you um, if you had experiences on the court against Rondo, maybe similar or different to, to what you just told us about playing against LeBron James. You know, it's it's fun to see, you know, players grow throughout their career. I mean, the time he was in Boston, I was playing in Boston against him, and the scheme against him looked much different than, than what it is right now. Um, you know, part of that is due to the context of the team and what Boston was loaded with. 
uh, and then right now in his role uh, and his teammates that are involved at the same time on the court. So, I mean, he's obviously shown that he can improve with the jumper, um, and he's been able to hit that throughout the playoffs. But that's a big pickup for, for Los Angeles in terms of beating Andy said earlier, sort of a playoff ready, built for a championship type team. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to put you, Landry, in a, in a hypothetical position. And, you know, I, I think you're in a, a fabulous spot with the Hawks because they are a, an up and coming team with uh, some, some really young players uh, who have a ton of potential. I'm specifically talking about Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, a, a couple of my favorite young players in the league. So the Hawks are in a different position, you know, where, where you're building through the draft, through development. And a team like the Lakers just kind of. Um, got their two superstars and then built with free agents, you know, to, to place them into certain placeholders that they know could help, could help them out. You're, you will eventually be in a position like that. Can you talk a little bit about the general manager or assistant general manager position where you're putting together a team, the differences in, I guess, scouting for a draft and scouting young players or where you could be in a couple of years where you're looking for those veteran pieces to complement the superstars that you already have? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question, and it's a question internally that we have to dialogue about constantly um, just in terms of where we're trying to take the organization as a whole. And, you know, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a young roster right now. If you look at us and – got six seven eight guys that are you know all potentially still in their developmental stages and they're getting a lot of good minutes on court, which is only going to aid them and and furthering along their game and, and possibly prepping them for what's to come what we're, we're striving after and fighting for as a group um you know a guy a guy like trey young is obviously first year all-star this past year so we have a huge piece of him and um now it's just how do we how do we draft well? How do we create a market? What kind of team do we need to build in order to surround our guy with the best talent to maximize not just themselves but the players that they complement as? Um, you know, and it's, it's it's not it's not a not necessarily a uh, formula by any means. It's there's a lot of art form to it too, and, and you're you're kind of going back and forth with different personalities. You got to understand the relationships and dynamics between players to player, players to coaches, players to front office, and all that goes into the decision making process and how you're trying to put this whole thing out. So for me personally, that's where I find a lot of the joy in this is having dialogue, sitting down in a discussion like what you all are doing right now. And, and just kind of going back and forth and seeing how can we collaborate and partner with each other to actually push everything forward. Like, I'm a big believer that I can't be the best me unless you're the best you and vice versa. So how do we continue to, to engage in, in healthy conflict for, for healthy communication and overall development for our staff and the players alike? Well, so, good question. Even a even better answer. Right. I, I imagine that it's your you're stepping into this role now. It's going to be even tougher, given as far as draft is concerned, because now there's so much limitations. Given you know the the, the climate win and COVID, you know the process isn't going to be the same. So it's not going to get any easier. Salary cap's going to be pressed too. Yeah, it's going to be it's interesting all, it's, time. It's going to be interesting mm-hmm. times. Yeah. But I guess that's why you're the man for it, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it's a different dynamic for sure, and I think we as a group, and I, you know, I'm just pointing the staff and trying to get in the lay of the land. But for the most part, most teams have done a really good job of implementing some practices in place as if the draft were happening tomorrow. I know it's November 18th is the date, but even if we started back in July, up against September, most teams would have been ready. And, and I think that that just kind of goes to. Uh, the processes that have been built in place beforehand. Okay, now it's just we have extra time to really between the guys. Hopefully you're not thinking too much just about the pick and kind of overthink things, but at the same time, uh, different scenarios, different cases, you know, we're we're ready for that. Clearly it's great to have a a Stanford former Stanford student in any basketball room. I mean, you're bringing a certain level of analysis here that uh, I think they're they're going to appreciate. Let's go back, Shep, to uh, to the finals a little bit more um, before we really get into the makings of the Andy and Landry show. Um, (laughs) Shep, (laughs) oh, don't worry, we're going to blast. Tried to bury that one. We will be blasting links. They they are on YouTube. They will be on Twitter at uh, at Jim Rats Podcast. Um, Shep, we we talked a lot about Rondo during during the playoffs. 
how much longer can he contribute? And is he really only good now on a team that's almost kind of ready-made for a championship run? Would he fit in on a on a younger team that is kind of up and coming? I don't think that's his role anymore, right? You're not looking to rough to a guy like Rondo to be doing any heavy lifting. You're more looking for his experience, his mentorship, and just to rally guys around him. He's done it before in Boston, and we've seen Hick. He did it with the, you know, with his Lakers team. We said it a couple of weeks ago. There were times on the court that LeBron gave up the ball and trusted in him and deferred to him in a sense to make decisions to facilitate to get guys in the right place. And those are the sort of things that you need from a guy like that that has the amount of experience that he has that's played at the levels and played on these these spaces. Well, that's why he's there. Before. Down. Yeah. That's exactly why he's there. So, uh, do you need much? Uh, is he going to go to a younger team right now and, and get back to, uh, you know, a, a ten assists a game regular season and ten and ten? No, but he's a guy that can you know back up your starting guard and then play in crucial minutes mm-hmm. and be just as impactful mm-hmm. as as your starting guard. So he's he's a guy that you want on your team. He's a guy that's going to be on a winning team from here on out, whether it be the Lakers or any other squad. Absolutely. Look, he's only taking up two million a year in the salary cap, right? Mm-hmm. He's playing. 20 to 25 minutes a game, which is an ideal time to, to rest your starters. And he's a guy who's had, you know, a, 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 a multitude of playoff experiences, different playoff experiences. Uh, he shot and made more threes than he has at any point in his career in, in the playoffs. Uh, he's averaging six assists a game. I mean, what more do you want? Right? What more do you want? It's, it's, it's his efficiency good, yeah. is off the charts. Yeah. His, his, he his, might have helped his the experience. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he can yeah, play. Yeah. I yeah. think he can play at this level for another two years, and then maybe another two to three years being a guy like Udonis Haslam, Vince Carter, who's a locker room guy who can who can spread his vast knowledge and, and spread his influence throughout a young team. Isn't that interesting? You would say that. You know, I think we talked a lot about Jimmy Butler throughout the playoffs yeah. and how he kind of restored his, his reputation. You know, Rondo had a mercurial attitude and reputation yeah. for many years and now you're describing him as as a leader mm-hmm. a team player mm-hmm. a role player it, it's interesting to see some of these guys I, come into their own as a veteran yeah I, I really do believe it's all about the fit i think landry can attest to that about being in the right situation in the league and where you feel comfortable and where you feel like you know you're gonna ha- be most impactful um and 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 you look at landry's rookie year you got that opportunity and he made the most of it you know you felt comfortable in a situation where you could have the ball be on the floor more uh really spread his wings as a as a as a two-way player and uh you know he thrived there so it's all about finding your your spot in the league and, and your time and with the right personnel the right coaches the right players and and that's what happened with rondo and that's why he has a championship as well as dwight okay let's take a, a quick break here from nba finals a quick shout out to our sponsor and your and your phone yep. uh henderson <laughs> brewery here in toronto the best beer is the beer you love um a fabulous independent brewery um in the heart of the junction in toronto check out their food truck and their ipa uh outstanding beer um also a shout out to my old Old English teacher and basketball coach Ross McDonald. Uh, it was his birthday the other day. Happy birthday to Coach Mac. Hope you're listening. Okay, we are, uh, as mentioned, so happy to be joined by Landry Fields. He is uh, the assistant general manager of the Atlanta Hawks. Um, he was the general manager of the San Antonio Spurs G League team for the last couple of years. He was a standout player in college at Stanford University, played two years with the New York Knicks, three years with the Toronto Raptors, um, and Canadian basketball fans will remember his presence here. Um, he was part of that first playoff team in, in 2014, the team that really turned it around um, in terms of We the North and, and basketball mm-hmm. in Toronto. So, so many questions for you, Landry. Um, I guess the best place to start since the the three of us are here in Toronto and you're settling into your new job in Atlanta, give us a... Summarize your three years in Toronto. What what it was like being a part of that team under Coach Dwayne Casey. What it was like playing with DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, and seeing that team kind of build itself from the ground up. Yeah, and, and, and I guess there's two ways to look at it. There's the obviously the global perspective, and then you have the local perspective. And for me personally, it was, it was the, especially those first two years, maybe a year and a half, say, kind of battling an injury with my arm, which was completely unexpected, something that came out of the blue on the very first day, very first practice of, of my first year in Toronto. Um, 
you know, and I was chatting with Andy even earlier, just kind of like how they came out of nowhere. And even to this day, as I sit on this call, if I were to go, poop, I have, have similar issues with my arm. It's kind of the involuntary actions that, that occur whenever I'm dynamically moving on the court. Um, so you just got to take that in context of, you know, you have 20 plus years of basketball is your absolute love and like light of your life. And then all of a sudden it still probably is yeah. a little bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it starts to let you down a little bit and you're kind of like, uh, <laughs> what's going on here. You think it's just kind of a, maybe something that you like a speed bump, but then, you know, for me personally, like you're kind of hitting a wall and it's, it takes a toll, not only physically on what's happened mentally and you got your relationships that you're surrounding yourself with. And thank God for, for my wife at the time, who was incredibly encouraging and supportive as I was going through that, that, that point in my life. Um, but it was tough. But, you know, you kind of work through it. You understand that I'm going to, at that point in time, we three years in contract. So how do I become the best professional I can be within this particular context that I'm living? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of moves from the local level now to the global. And you're looking at, you know, what was happening at that point in time from a team standpoint. And you said it earlier about, you know, we the North campaign, which I thought was a brilliant campaign that really unified Canada as a whole and understanding like, yeah, one team for all of Canada and you can feel it when we were traveling from Nova Scotia all the way to Vancouver. Like people were throwing up the Weed North uh, flags and I'm like, that is so awesome. Like that whole thing that unified everybody, the team could definitely feel it. And I don't know how much is spoken about that or externalized from players that play the teams, but internally in the locker room, like we knew that the fan base was unbelievable and they had our backs. And I think that there were a few moves that that happened. Obviously, Masaka came in, made some trades and some things that, that happened and whatnot, but you know, kept the core of Kyle and DeMar. And those guys just really started to take off together. They started to take a lot of ownership in their role and, and responsibilities and they were really leading you know, the rest of the team, no matter if you were playing or not playing. Uh, those guys were, were, were terrific to play with on the court. And it, it showed. The chemistry showed up on, on the court um, in the playoffs. And, you know, we were kind of couldn't get through a few walls there. And by the time I left, they finally broke through one. And, and you know, they had a big tray with Kawhi and Lamar. And then, you know, Kawhi comes in and finally the championship. But all that is set in motion with all the little uh, decision made, decisions that have been made beforehand and, and, and all the things that kind of go through the whole process. So, I mean, it was. It's fun. It was fun to be a part of in the initial stages. I always like to joke around, like, "Yeah, it's all, it's all due to me. I had to leave for somebody else to come here." Really. <laughs> so what? But, will, uh, now, as a fan of basketball, looking at it from afar, it's really see. I'm happy for the guy, my teammates that I was able to play with. Like nobody deserves it more than them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. See, I'm always, you know, basketball, the on-court stuff is one thing. Basketball is basketball. But I'm always interested in, in like, the psychological side of things. So, for you, what was tougher, um, you know, the pressures uh, or not understanding what's going on with your body and not being able to perform at the level that you knew that you were capable of? Mm-hmm. Or the fact that, you know, this whole, this this machine was growing, this We the North, and obviously we had a naive fan base, and probably, they probably didn't really understand what was going on with you, and, you know, the media was probably attacking you, fans, whatever the case may be, um, but which was harder, because I know from the basketball side, if you can play, like, we're, we're naturally, we're athletes, we're competitors, but if your body's not allowing you to that, that's out of your control, and that could be, that could be daunting, as well as the other side. Sure. Fantastic question. And it's it just depends on what point in time you're looking at that particular question. Like in the moment you're going through it and I'm 20, what time, what, how old am I at that point in time? 23, 24. And the maturity level of where I'm at now versus then, that's different. You know, right. So you're in it and you're, you're hearing the fans, you're hearing the media, you know, you're, you're probably misinterpreting reads and look for preferred <laughs> office numbers and whatnot. And because you're in your own world. That's a dangerous game. That's a dangerous game to play. Yeah. If your world is not going right, the whole world's off. Right. Yeah. And you're, you're limited in that, in that space and you don't want to show your face outside of the, the 
apartment or the condo mm-hmm. that you're living, and then you're sitting there on court, and you're trying your hardest to bust through, and then when people can understand what was going on, it makes it that much tougher because kind of look at, you know, is this all in my head? Are they mm-hmm. thinking it's all in my head? Mm-hmm. You know, that contract comes into the, the picture and, and how much money you're making. All these things are swirling around and flying around. And, you know, you you can get lost in it. And maybe there were some points of time where I absolutely did. Yep. But at the same time, you use that to continue to grow and mature with who you are as a person and the fact that basketball is awesome and it's a beautiful part of my life and I'm extremely grateful for everything that's a full thing in life. Um, but life is not boiled down to the sum of what you can do with basketball at the end of the day. And having it sort of be taken right in is sort of weird. And I guess you could say it's, it's been very powerful for me and very lightning liberating to a certain degree. But it, you have to go through the stages of that whole process. Mm-hmm. Right. And as I look back now, to answer your question, um, I, I share what I would hope to be a lot of empathy for people in that particular space because you don't know what you don't know. Like, I told somebody for for the for the word that they're speaking because at the end of the day, it's like you just don't know, mm-hmm. and you know what? That's okay. And maybe I can have a one-on-one conversation with you, but I can't have a one-on-one with thousands and thousands of people and tell you exactly what's happening and what's mm-hmm. going on in my mindset. Yep. So you have to be okay with letting go of control, control of trying to control of other people's thoughts and opinions and whatnot. They just kind of have to be like, I, I respect your opinion. I don't think you know the full story, but I have to be okay because I can't live my life chained to what other people are thinking of me and then have that have me hold up in a household because I'm afraid to do X, Y, and Z based off of the truth my life. I, that's, that's not a life to live. And it took a long time for me to understand that. And a lot of relationships that I cultivated and grew along the way to help me see the bigger picture and know that at the end of the day, despite what's going on, you still have value, you're still loved. You can still have a beer with somebody, like absolutely, okay. yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and that, that's the point of time where, um, where I really thought there was a freedom from basketball, and it was like okay for me to be, be. It was okay for me to not be okay from a physical standpoint, but then in a global sort of standpoint, like I was, I was good. Like it was all. All good. I think it's it's so funny because Andy and I talk about this all the time is that we as basketball players we identify ourselves we've invested so much right that we spend so much time just identifying in our whole our whole world that whole everything is just okay you are just a basketball player. Mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. just to step outside or just you know take a breath of fresh air it's it's tough at times so oh it's it's a dark rabbit hole you can go down I mean I, I can attest to that in, in terms of just not. Not really playing as a rookie in the league, and you start to doubt yourself, and you listen to what other people have to say, and it, it kind of takes over the view that you had of yourself. And you know, good for you for not letting that get to you. Obviously, you know, there's there's times where it, it seeps through the cracks. You know, you go to some dark places for sure. But but basketball provides even still. You know, and and like you said, it doesn't take away from who you are as a human. Um, and, and ultimately, it's provided all of us with with you know other other forms of opportunities through right. basketball, which sure. we have to be grateful for. For sure. But but you but it can be a dark place. And uh, and yeah, we're we're just happy to see you doing well and thriving right now. And uh, you know, moving on to the lighter side of things, we're, we're kind of curious. What what are some of your best moments that you had with the Raptors and or New York? What are your, some some of your favorite oh, memories? <laughs> Can't blame those. Uh, oh, Toronto best moments. Um, really, the when when fan base started to really back the team again. The Jurassic Park that was happening outside, we the North. Yeah, and you really could feel that. I'm that was not saying that as like some cliche thirty for thirty. Yeah, like that was felt. And the team and the fans on fire. And just to kind of see that transition happen yeah. and be a part of that transition mm. was really special. Um, you know, there's there's also teammates along the way, you know, like Steve Novak, uh, him being in in, uh, in Toronto with me after you know, being with him in New York, I thought was another teammate who was incredibly helpful. Um, and I loved being a part of it. And he was wife, a seasoned vet. Like a, I forgot about yeah. Novak. I forgot Novak was yeah, there. he was a journeyman. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's just, I mean, even even the fact that I'm in this position in a profit standpoint, actually back to my relationship with Aaron Gray, who I played with my first year in Toronto. And so, yeah. kind of quick story on that, like getting into 
my position as a scout with San Antonio was only because Aaron Gray was talking to the current GM of San Antonio Spurs, Brian Wright, when Brian was asking if he knew anybody who might be interested in a scouting position. Mm-hmm. And Aaron was like, well, I think Landry might be, might be kind of getting out of the league. Go check with him. I, 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 can, I can support him and give you all the background information you need. So having that relationship and just knowing him, he's the one that just threw out my name. Like it was no, no, <laughs> I did on my own. Yeah. All that stuff kind of worked out. Um, sure. But I mean, like it's all the, all the plane rides, everything that you'd hear from other players that are just so special. And they're even more special now looking back because it's revisionist history and you're able to make meaning out of it. And some of the guys that you see along the way to see them turn out, how they turn out and, and whatnot. It's always fun. It's fun to catch up with those guys. Mm-hmm. Well, what one game uh, specifically that, that stands out for me, Landry, and, and you were on the team. I don't know if you played in, in the game seven against Brooklyn in 2014, but I I look back at that game fondly. You know, I I was producing it, and you know, I wasn't a player, but as a producer, I really felt something special being in the truck, watching you guys compete in a game seven. Um, and now, you know, you kind of mentioned revisionist history. Now that the Raptors have won a championship, I I can really look back at that game uh, with a smile, but. One thing that has always stood out to me about that game, and I'm really interested in your perspective on it, Amir Johnson was having the game of his life, but he was saddled with foul trouble throughout, and in fact, he fouled out of the game. And I thought of, of his six fouls, three of them weren't even like ticky-tack. They were just phantom fouls. And I thought he was, you know, I can say it, I'm not going to get fined. I thought he was unfairly um, ejected from that game for a bunch of fouls that just weren't there. It, do, do you remember his, specifically his performance or maybe anything else that really up until uh, 2016 when they when they first won a round, really to me that was the game that stood out more than anything for the for this the current era of the Raptors. Yeah, so we, we talked about Kyle and Demar a little bit. Um, then you kind of go to the the raw players and the pieces outside of them, and just how crucial they are in any playoff year, in any final team. They, they have to they have to support uh, your main dudes. And Amir, I remember that time. I I can never say him or think about him without smiling because he's just like that kind of character and he's a great personality in an incredible way about him. Uh, and hilarious. Like, he, if you're at a he is hilarious. But for him, from a basketball standpoint, I felt like he was most comfortable finally in his role. And, you know, he, he, he got in the year in the, in the league really young um, and kind of was making his way throughout. But I thought on that Toronto team specifically, is where he kind of figured out where he'd be most effective. And I thought Dwayne Casey did an incredible job at effectively using him. And I, I can't remember specifically about that game, if I'm being honest with you. Um, but at the same time, I can remember that meter as a whole during those years that I was able to spend with him. Uh, I mean, even at one point where he was trying to extend his shot, and it took him forever to shoot it. But it seemed like it was either a complete swish or an air ball. <laughs> so, uh, Which seems to be the uh, case for most Toronto centers. Nice. Well, uh, yeah, Matt Devlin came to calling that the summer three for a couple of years because Amir Johnson had worked on the, the three-pointer. You know, nice. as, as a, a lifelong sports fan, you know, I'm a professional in, in broadcasting, but as a fan of sports, that there's there's just nothing like seeing and hearing athletes talk about their fellow athletes. Like, it, it's just, there's something about it that, that warms the heart. Like, to hear how, you talking about DeRozan and Lowry and Amir Johnson from those days as someone who was watching it so closely. It, it It's really cool to hear. And I think this brings us to the part that I've been looking forward to most in, in this podcast is the you and Andy Routens being rookies on the Knicks um, it, that year in, uh, I guess it was 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, Landry, I, I feel like your rookie season, maybe it wasn't a surprise to you, but I think you surprised a lot of observers of the league because you were so outstanding that year. Talk about that year with the Knicks and talk about being co-rookies with this guy, our good friend Andy. Well, correction, it was a complete surprise to me. <laughs> totally expected. Uh, I, Dan told me, I remember bringing, he brought me into his office, 
uh, maybe a week before the start of the season. I think we played Toronto in that very first game to open the season our rookie year. And, you know, he, he, he's like, yeah, this, this is the time where I, I usually cut people, but, you know, I'm here to let you know you're starting. <laughs> this dude's impersonations are okay. dead on, man. He's like, and so, like, it shocked me because I like, thought I had a decent preseason and I thought, you know, maybe I'd see some time, but, like, that really, that really was unexpected for me. And I, even that first game, I was, I was so jittery, like, I just, you know, especially doing that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, you have to take it back and, and into this. You know, we're here now. I'm going to get Andy right here. And my first interaction with Andy was actually through text message mm-hmm. um, because I wasn't reaching out to anybody. I didn't have any sort of external drive to be like, I'm going to go be friends with people. No, uh, run, it, run it back. We we worked out uh, pre-draft oh, at Portland right, you're together. Right. You're right. At Portland. Ahead, and uh, – I remember seeing everybody. You know how you see everybody when you get to the workout. Yeah. You're kind of sizing everybody up, looking around, you know, who's in my workout. And uh, I saw Landry at the airport, and then we made our way there. Didn't talk to him until after we finished the workout. And Landry was like, oh, man. He goes, we, we, were we getting to the end where we were doing a three-point shooting? He said, if I can just hang in with you, I'll be good. <laughs> That's the only thing you were thinking about. And I was sitting here thinking to myself, like – I don't know anybody from the Pac-10 because yeah, you, know, yeah. you know you don't you don't think about anybody outside of your conference really you know, but lo and behold this guy is the the leading scorer in the Pac-10 you know killing killing everybody in the country, and uh, and yeah he had a stellar workout but that was the first time we met each other was in Portland, uh, and not again until uh, we saw each other in New York. Facts yeah. and that one, <laughs> well you know for the people outside of the ACC like or the big I was the Big East. Big East. The the Big East and ACC, like, you're always on ESPN. Those guys, little guys on the field. Like, man, like, that you get the one game a week spotlight. Like, that dude is awesome. <laughs> and so I remember, like, going to the workout, I'm like, hey, that dude, if I keep up with him in the shooting field, like, I'll show people that I can at least shoot. shoot. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it was my goal whenever you were in a times together. I don't know. I remember like, just watching just catch. Cash, cash, cash. I just remember watching you, you go through the racks five apiece. I'm just like, man, if I can shoot with him, then I got it made. Like, at least I'll give myself a chance here. Um, no, like, so you're right. That was the first time. The real, like, personal yep. interaction was I, I got off a plane. I think we were both getting to New York, or at least people there. I was coming to And you texted me, and I'm paraphrasing it, but like, hey, man, like, looking forward to this year with each other and he said something like a lot of lines up like you know hopefully we grow to be friends or something yeah 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 yeah. he was full of shit (laughs) he was definitely full of shit because i wasn't gonna i i I didn't know if i at that point in time i still like that's any freaking route like dude was just balling at syracuse (laughs) so you know i mean going right next to each other in, in the draft i mean was special and then you know I guess we'll get into more of the basketball stuff, but um, no, that was fun. That first, that first little moment, like I remember first impressions, and that one for me in particular was was fun to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember distinctly being like, okay, you know, the competition is going to be stiff enough to get on the floor against all these vets. You know, you're going into an environment where it's just foreign to you. You know, it's entirely, you know, way more physical than you ever thought it would be. And you want to kind of have a little, you know, bit of confidence in, in, you know, the guys who are coming in with you so that you could build a bond and you could kind of bounce off each other and, and your energy to, to fight through and ultimately see each other succeed. And, and that's ultimately what I wanted initially. And, and yeah, it's, it was rest is history from there. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's, it's actually funny just sitting here. It's like, you know, coming from work, we've all been former players, mm-hmm. but the memories, the most memories we have are always off the court, like oh, camaraderie yeah. and, and, and things of that nature. Whereas, you know, you probably remember, remember one of your better games or, but just the memories, the conversations, the dinners. The, right. I mean, if I'm being honest, like, I, I mean, Man, you, we we all can attest to this right mm-hmm. now. Not playing basketball right now is is we miss the locker room chats. Yeah, we yeah, miss yeah, the sure. where are we going to eat tonight. You know, we miss we miss the the hanging out at home and, and just talking about our families and and you know it's it's building those relationships off the floor often lead to better basketball on the floor as well. Yeah, for sure. And 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 that was another idea in my mind. You know, building that chemistry right right away coming from Syracuse as a guy who, who was kind of the glue to the team, knowing that that's a formula for success is to have everybody on the same page the same and page. be as good as you possibly can be off the floor. So that translates to on the floor, mm-hmm. that synergy. For sure. Yeah. Well, one of the great off the court 
moments, and I, <laughs> I, I would hardly call it great. That's a fucking stretch. I, I can tell you that the Toronto Raptors broadcast crew, led by Leo Routens, was absolutely enthralled with the Andy and Landry show, which was something that the two of you guys did in your rookie year. And you know, earlier today, I, I went back, I went on YouTube, I gave, I gave it a look. And they man, haven't took that shit down yet. <laughs> That's the thing about YouTube. I don't think it ever comes down. Who do you call for that? Episode one, Andy and Landry went speed dating, speed dating. in yeah. New York. This is yeah. absolutely must-see TV for all basketball fans of Landry Fields, of Andy Routens, of the Raptors, of the Knicks. Um, I'm glad he's broadcasting this because this is something I've tried to bury for years. Yeah, this is, <laughs> I have some skeletons in, the, in my TV closet yeah, too. But they're not as public. I challenge you to look them up. Okay. But uh, uh, Landry, t- talk about um, you know maybe a memory or two of of that show, and even just anything off the court with our friend Andy. <laughs> That you Where were talking we, about. I think the video the video is a safe a safe place to go. Oh man, so the speed dating episode. I mean, even before we get there, like just <laughs> how it came to be. I think, and I'm forgetting whose production team wanted to do it and who and and, and how that came about. But it just it started with just like Andy and I were always together. I mean, like it was like the joke of the team. Like, you know, where's your boyfriend Andy? I'm like, I don't know. Like, like you be right next to you. I'm usually right next to you. Been, like, living in in White Plains at the time of our rookie year, we we stayed at condos and we're like right next to each other. And I, I go down, I look back. I'm, Why don't we just stay in the same place? Like, I don't know what, what we were thinking. Yeah, yeah. And so if we weren't we weren't walking to malls. I mean, we're, we're ordering Domino's pizza. Andy was crushing me in FIFA. It must be like I might have got one win at ninety nine. A lot of broken controllers game. in that era, for sure. It was crushing me, and then I mean, like there, there's something, but like to the Andy and Landry show, um, like that speed dating episode was for me. It was so awkward. I went back and looked at that not recently, but like maybe six months ago. I was Antonio, and like Andy was buying his behind off I'm a DJ, I'm a fireman. Like, I, just, like, I could, I could get like this awkward for me. Like, I, Dude, know I, I think I remember it after being. I think we were either at practice or an event, and then we had to go do. Mind you, every everywhere you go in New York, you take one of those. Uh, you know, those little Chevy Suburbans, you know, and yeah. your trip is yeah. about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour everywhere you go. So this is after a practice, you know, first one in the gyms, you know, we're the last ones to leave typically most days. And, you know, we're, we're exhausted. We get something to eat and then we got to fly back down to the city, do the speed dating thing that we all don't want to do, really. Uh, and, and mind you, and mind you, these these women were were there were there seriously. And, you know, there's a camera crew yeah. there and, and it made things very, very awkward, albeit it made for some funny TV. But by the end of it, I was falling asleep. I was like, <laughs> well, I was like, we gotta wrap this shit at some point. The day I, I, I have no distinct memories. No, absolutely not. Oh my god, it was a train wreck. Oh my. And ladies, if you're watching this, it's not that we, you know, it's not you, it's us. Okay? It's not you, it's us. Chef, did, did you do any any zany off the court kind of stuff nah. like that that's on video that we can look up? Nothing like that. Come on, that's the way to be. Man. Luckily, I'm over. These guys were in the league. I was overseas, so I got I got a good end of the stick, the better mm-hmm. end of the stick. I got. To I mean, it was it was it was actually a bit of a, a culture shock too, because you know, being in New York, it's it's the media capital of the world, and you know, mm-hmm. coming from school where where you're you're loved and you're heralded, you know, New York can be a pretty rough place, and everything that they want you to do is circulated via social media. I mean, they wanted you to tweet. You know, certain things they wanted you to be on broadcast. They wanted you to be out there, you know, your personal brand. So really nothing that you did was under the radar there, uh-huh. which was it was it was tough for me to deal with because I'm not a person that likes to be out there like that. Um, you know, but I think we both I think, hit it in stride. I think we did about as best as we could, given the situation. That was the first I, me- I remember watching that. I was overseas yeah. somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but I was wondering, like, how the hell did they get Andy to do this? <laughs> like, who pulls those strings? I was like, some this had to be some 
part of PR program yeah. or media yeah. that forced it on him. But yeah. no, it was cool, man. Like I, you know, just seeing that the relationship you guys had, and just seeing now, yeah. you know, you guys have come back, like reunited, and able to have these conversations. Landry didn't big time. You didn't big time us. So. Oh no chance. It's not the kind of guy he is, and I think that's why we vibed, you know, as well as we did initially. Uh, Nice. Yeah. Well, well, Landry, you're, you're now uh, the assistant general manager of the Atlanta Hawks, and and I, you know, I di- didn't know you that well or talk to you that much while you were in Toronto, but I am so proud of you for for being in that position. I think it's such an incredible role, and it it, it speaks to your intelligence, your basketball acumen, and the way you carry yourselves with people. I, and I I can see you in NBA front offices. For the next thirty years, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's it's actually such a slam dunk. I, I guess I want to ask you um, how you how that job came to be, how you came to get that job in the Hawks organization. It so started as a scout, regional scout, which for San Antonio Thunder, which you're just you're making sure you're taking care of your region. And I was all west at that point in time, all college basketball, and that kind of expanded to everything nationally to the entire draft. And I wasn't, you know, one to travel around everywhere, but you know, I, I figured like, well, how can we keep up with the West Coast? I better know everybody else and understand, have a good pulse. And you know, as a former player, like that perspective is highly valued for organizations. Um, that was definitely something that was helpful for me in the process and getting the job and um, just continuing to kind of work with the way and building relationships internally with San Antonio was great. And, and they were awesome for, for mentors and developed me in that role because it's a much different much different way of going about than being a player. And it's, it's kind of cool to see how things work, you know, behind the scenes. And there's so much to take care of and there's so much player care and everything that goes into providing players with the best chances to be successful and, and the resources that are poured into it and the amount of hours that are spent just thinking through, like, how do we best maximize X player so that they can be a championship-level t- talent? And it was it was definitely a skill set that I had to grow through over time because it didn't come necessarily naturally on some of those areas. But um, people took a real interest in the organization and went from scout to um, you know managing our G League team in Austin at that, part, at that point in time and spent the past year doing that. But I also had a lot of different hats, and I think that that's where they were great also is exposing me to everything in the organization and allowing me to be part of all of those meetings and decision makings and whatnot. Um, so that kind of this this opportunity with Atlanta came about just through a series of relationships and opportunity. And so there was an opening, and you know, they were they were interviewing a few different people around the league. Went through the interview process, and ultimately landed the job. So kind of here I am right now. And part of what I'm doing is is everything from your relationships and advocacy to to development to strategic planning and the draft and kind of helping oversee the G League and whatnot, just being the best assistant I can be for Travis Link, who's our GM, and, you know, following his lead and trying to compliment him as best as I can to, to bring a level of leadership to the organization that, uh, that they envision to be. I think a lot of kids also need to hear it from, from you know, somebody that's in your position's mouth, a scout, an NBA personnel. Uh, what sort of skill set or what, what do you identify in, you know, young talent that you see that can be transferred over to the NBA game? Because a lot of these kids now, they just, they want to just score. They want to, you know, just dunk and so forth. But when you are in a scout scouting position and now as a GM, you know, what are some of the things that you're identifying? That's a great question, Chef. Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot that you can look at in players and you look and you go, like, that kid is talented. I mean, the first thing is, like, I test. Like, what do they look like? What's their athleticism like? What's the length like? What's their height and whatnot? How are they moving that quick touch muscle um, that a lot of high-level athletes have? Their shiftiness, their lateral movement. I mean, you're kind of looking at that up front and what physical attributes they have. And then you kind of shift into, okay, how are they, how are they using that to the best advantage? What kind of role do they have going forward? And, you know, you mentioned sport, and you kind of, we're kind of in an age where all younger talent, they have their own trainers and it's highly individualized. And, like, I think we're seeing the best individual basketball, like, of all time because some of these high schoolers I'm witnessing, I'm just like, <laughs> there's just no way. Like, at least in my world of high school, I was not even close to being as good <laughs> as they are. And so what, what I would particularly be trying to look at 
um, would first start off from a character standpoint, some of the intangibles that are going to be necessary for them to build relationships with teammates because at the end of the day, it's not one-on-five. It's five-on-five. So how can you maximize each other's uh, competencies in order for it to work in this whole team dynamic? Mm-hmm. And that takes the intangibles of sort of a lot of, I would call emotional IQ, like honesty, humility, and development, and empathy, and communication, and and what I in appropriate conflict because I don't think we can grow without a level of conflict. Like we can't just all be in agreement about everything and not ever have to grow. Right. And so those those types of conversations have to be able to be had. And what are the leadership that they have? And if they're leading others, by all means, that can lead themselves each and every day. So how are they going to prepare and be intentional? about this draft that they have. And, and we've formed players on this call right now. Like, we get it. Like, we're out, and we're you know, at least potentially going to be out. And looking back in, and you start to see, like, yeah. there's so much we took for granted oh, while so playing. Much. Oh, yep. 100%. Yeah. Like, you're in this position now, and you're standing, and I just want to go, like, hey, listen to me. This <laughs> is gonna like, I promise you, you will not be bothered trying to you're gonna get the run at some point, too. Yeah. Like, you not outrun this sucker. Yeah. So take everything you can right now while you're at the, at the height of who you are with your body and your mind and just maximize and like, sponge, great legacy. Yeah. Stuff, all the, the money and all the accolades, that's all going to come. Like, just, just own your craft and do it in a way where at the finish line, you're not alone. You have your teammates and you have people with you. Like, that's where you want to be. If your dream is to be here, make sure that you're not finishing lonely. Make sure that you're bringing others with you and that you can no longer. And it's a lot to put on. Like, honestly, it's, it's high standards for, for different prospects. But I think you have to be, you have to put it, you have to show what the ideal is and then continuously grow them towards them. It's almost a paradox in a sense where I'm going to hold you accountable for this, although I know you're nowhere near that. But they have to have some influence or some vision for themselves that you can partner with to get them where they need to be. So knowing what you know now and just being smarter, more knowledgeable and understanding the game a bit more, what would you have changed? And this is this is you know pre-injury and so forth. What would you have changed in your approach to the game, or um, in, as far as your career goes, whether it be you know in college, pros, or just just how you would have approached the game, oh. or anything skill-wise, and and what you would have done different? Because I'm sure we all worked hard. I, we don't yeah, yeah. end up in the same in the places we have by just fly by night. For sure. For sure. And great question. Um, okay, something that I you. consistently come back to. <laughs> great questions. <laughs> something that I consistently come back to is if I were to talk to my rookie yourself, I would have told him what, I was, what you need to do right now is first and foremost, go talk to a vet on the team and clean yourself to them as the person that's beyond you mm-hmm. and have them pour into you and always be at their side. And find a good one. Like, don't just go to the one that's like, you know, there, there's two of the best to go to, but like ask kind of like who's a good vet that you can mm-hmm. clean yourself to. Mm-hmm. And then you need, and then where, where I really was fantastic with was I had somebody beside me and that was with Andy. Mm-hmm. Like you can't do this alone. Like to have, to go through some of the trenches that we went through, it made it infinitely better for me and hopefully for, for Andy at some points in time too, to at least know that somebody's right there that has your back. Sure. Like for I can sure. dialogue about real stuff because these yeah. are real to me. Like I'm emotional right now. If I can cry in front of you, then yeah, we're boys for life. No matter yeah. how much time goes between, like if I if I get a sulking session in front of you, right <laughs> by me, like, <laughs> ten years, and I'd be like, bro, what is? For you know, sure, and there's a certain veil yeah. that you keep over yourself in front of the veterans, in front of the guys that you you look up to, and who who they think you're supposed to be as a rookie. And you know, obviously, we had that camaraderie as rookies, and and that helped tremendously. But I actually had that thought, uh, you know, that you said like quite frequently. Like, I'm I'm so happy that we had our relationship to get through, uh, you know, the ups and downs of the sea of a turbulent 82 game season as rookies. But I think that we lacked that experience, like you said, from spending you know, a constant amount of time with a professional, with a, yes. with a guy who's been in the league, who knows the ropes, who does, who has the answers that we don't have. If we're trying to figure it out at home, you know, and we could have sought out different opinions or, you know, pick their brains a little bit more or watch more film. And I think the guys who are ultimately successful long-term in the league are guys that do that, that attach themselves to the vets. And uh, it, it's no secret either. Um, so that's a yeah, that's re- really well said. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. You you basically you can expedite your development process exactly. 
like leaning on these vets who've mm-hmm. been through it. Like you're mm-hmm. getting wisdom for from sure. them as opposed yeah. to having to go along by yourself and trying to figure it out along mm-hmm. the way. Like it's like no, like here's potholes that you can miss. Mm-hmm. Young, young rookie, if you just listen <laughs> so and the thing is, beyond, yeah, go ahead, man. Sorry. No, I was gonna say. So you have beyond beside, and one that is is kind of overlooked a lot is somebody behind you. It's like these three Bs, you can say. And what you're doing is all the wisdom that you're getting from the person beyond you, all the wisdom that you're unearthing with the person beside you, is what you now are going to pour in the community behind you. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, by doing that, you're actually compassionate and relearning it yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you're bringing along a teammate throughout the whole process, which is going to be crucial for your own development and the chemistry of the team. So you have this like conveyor belt of development happening where I would have known that back then. I've been a lot more intentional about that. So, so the way is like, I'm, I'm on my own hero's journey, and yeah, I want to be the best player I can be. But at some point in time, it has to shift from hero to God. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're able to make that shift. Mm-hmm. Man, like you're leaving the world better off than when you found it, whatever context or space you find yourself in, from life or basketball. And I just truly believe that. I wish I would have that. But For sure. Andy, like, you're a great point on what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, and, and the more the vets see that you want to be involved, the more they're going to take you under their wing. And, and the more they're going to you know, be okay with mistakes, be okay with the, the bumps and bruises that come with being a rookie. Um, yeah. so that, that's a fantastic point. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that is just a, an amazing philosophy and attitude that, that you're talking about, Landry. And I mean, I, I think it doesn't just apply to basketball. I think it applies to literally almost any profession that anybody is walking into um, in any walk of life. You you want to um, insulate yourself with people who, you know who you like, people who you trust, and you. it's all about building relationships, and it's nice to hear that um, it's the same in pro basketball as as it would be in in any other profession. You know, Landry, we're, we've uh, we've kept you for so long, so I, I want to get you out of here. But I, I think we just have to ask you a little bit about your team, the upcoming season. Um, I mentioned earlier Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, a couple of awesome young players. You you will have the sixth pick in uh, the NBA draft, and I think it's going to be such a whirlwind this year because we don't. A lot of us don't know who these players are. We didn't get an NCAA tournament, and they've been kind of out of sight, out of mind. Now, obviously, your your team and your staff has been scouting them very closely. What what kind of expectations do you does your organization have for your team for the next season, whenever it starts, the twenty twenty one season? Well, we we definitely are are young. And, and everyone can see that from an outsider's perspective. You just look at everyone's date of birth and you'll see that, yeah, like the collective is the youngest in the team, for sure. Um, and with that, you know, the players you mentioned, like basically now into his third year, the Andre fan will be going into their second year. And you just want to see those incremental gains from those guys. And you want to see a guy that's in Trey's position continue to take steps, which he's been great at, in leadership because you're the you're you're the guy at this point in time. So how is it that you can now unite and empower the teammates around you to continue to take steps with you? And he's doing a great job. Like you, you look at some of the stuff that's been happening outside of the bubble and we weren't in the bubble. Um, but just the the way they've been able to approach the game and each other, I'm hoping transitions into the court. You know, it's a great point that Andy brought up where everything that's happening with that chemistry will ultimately make its way on the court. And those are the steps that we're trying to take right now. I mean, it's, it's still building and uh, we're excited about some of the potential that these guys can develop into, but it's going to be with anything that's growing, it's going to have its challenges and it's going to have its point in time where it's like, okay, we have to lock in and really push through this particular point of this of, of season of life. So it's ex- a lot of excitement. Uh, definitely a lot of room to grow. Any, any final thoughts, Chip? You got to you start some Toronto connection over there. You got to put my guy Depeche Mystery to to work the head um, video coordinator. I don't know if you guys met each other yet, but he's a Toronto guy as well. Don't don't know him well yet. No, so yeah. definitely keep that in mind. All right. Oh, he's. I mean, you have a, a vast experience in, in, with uh, basketball cultures in, in San Antonio and Toronto that you know you're bringing to a young Atlanta Hawks team, and hopefully you can implement that and 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 mold these guys into a, a very successful uh, core. And I think you have the talent to do so, and and the right people in office now to do that. So congratulations again, and and we really appreciate you joining us. 
absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Landry Fields, Assistant General Manager of the Hawks. We uh, are grateful you took the time today. Have an amazing season and career. I I, I see you as an executive in the NBA, a, a life coach, a leader for, for decades to come. Thanks again for, for the time today. Absolutely. Thanks again, guys. Okay, and that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Jim Rats and Joints. Special thanks to Eggplant Picture and Sound for having us here. Special thanks to our producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Wong. Check him out on Twitter, at Dan Wong Says. That's S-E-Z. Also, check out at Jim Rats Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. For Javon Shepard, for Andy Routens, our special guest today, Landry Fields, Thank you for checking us out, and we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 